Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your first 2023 edition of the only podcast i am your co-host austin smith joined as always by your other co-host john kirby you can find us on twitter at ac smith 06 and at john underscore kirby and as always follow the mothership at the only colors today is thursday january 5th and john here's we're gonna start with a fun fact mm. did you know that 10 percent of the national basketball association a league which has worldwide popularity uh, and, and some of the most recognizable names in all of professional sports, nay, celebrity in general, 10% of the teams in the league are now owned by Michigan State Spartan alums. That's a lot. Fact. <laughs> and one most recently purchased by uh, a MAPE, a Birmingham Seahome MAPE. Is that correct? If you can see me, which you can't because this is a podcast, I am, I'm raising the roof. With both of my hands. Pat Ishbia, Seahome legend, has purchased the Phoenix Suns. Uh, truly, just like, I don't know if anybody had that on their bingo card of Ishbia buys an NBA team in 2022, but uh, pretty sweet because not only does he buy an awesome, young, fun team, he also gets Robert Sarver out of the NBA which is good news for everybody. News. Double good news. Yeah. Yes. Double good news. And uh, yeah, again, he, uh, Tom Gorris, uh, Pistons owner, and uh, the Cavs owner, Dan Gilbert, three Spartan alums, all own NBA teams now, which is which is crazy. Ishbia, it's funny about Ishbia too, because you saw his name attached to a lot of different sporting uh, sports teams. Um, most notably, the Washington Commanders, if they ever had to sell, his name was floated out there for that. Um, then Suns just comes out of absolutely nowhere. But very, very cool. Uh, and needless to say, if you uh, are a fan of the Pistons, the Suns might be not be a bad second franchise to pick up on the fan mm -hmm. radar. It's true. He And it should be noted, he also picked up the Phoenix Mercury in that acquisition. Mm. He's got multiple uh you know, franchises in that in that purchase. So, you know, a, a two for one deal. And so, you, you know, I think the point of conversation here is I've seen some actually, you know, people are like, wow, that's really cool. And then I saw some people saying, well, now, wait, now, hold on just one minute. Is this going to be bad for Michigan State Athletics as he is the largest donor? And and Austin, what do you think? How does this affect the Spartan athletic program? It's an interesting point. Definitely an interesting point. Um, 
I let's think about it this way. This guy had enough money or capital to buy a team for like four billion dollars. Yeah. I I think MS his contributions to MSU are probably just a line item in the budget of his yep. larger, larger works. Um, I, I think one, it's a perfectly fair concern and a natural follow-up question. I would say one of the reasons why I personally don't think much will change is because the big downstroke, the down payment has already been made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be a, put down a bunch of money for Mel Tucker's contract. Um, that doesn't run out for another nine years. So I don't think they're going to be t- need to tap into Ishbia uh, for, for big ticket items here anytime soon. I mean, he's already put money into redoing some of the buildings on campus. Yeah, Izzo just got a lifetime deal. So there's not really a lot of huge things that they're going to need to pony up for. And this also is an indicator that I don't think this is a, another thing. I don't think Michigan State's ever going to get into the pay a freshman quarterback $9 million to come to your school game. I think that's reserved for specific universities and also will probably be regulated sooner rather than later. So um, yeah. I don't think it'll have an, a, an overwhelming effect. Do you agree with that? I would agree. And I think the other takeaway is just because Ishbia is the maybe most well-known billionaire donor that there are multiple billionaire donors that are tapped. So it, it really does not concern me in any way, shape or form. The only tangible thing that may you may even see is the fact that uh, the basketball team will no team members will no longer be able to get NIL deals from UWM. That oh, that's me, interesting. May, and that's part of the NBA uh, collective bargaining agreement where an owner of any organization cannot be providing benefits or salary of any kind to potential future employees of their NBA franchise, which is to me makes no sense because there's like draft anyway. But regardless, it doesn't really matter because as we talked about, people will be taken care of. Don't worry about that. So um, not worried, happy that we get to have another uh, team to to root for in the NBA and WNBA, and uh, it's an all-around good win, I think, as as you see more Spartans do well um, around the world. Strong, strong agree. And once again, go Mapes. Go Mapes. Um, I, I will say, listen, for a long time, all we had was Tim Allen, another famous alumni of uh, uh, of Michigan. Or excuse me. Well. Of well, Western Michigan, I suppose, but of uh, home. But now, listen, add a uh, billionaire NBA owner to the list. Uh, and if you're li- if you're listening, maybe you could donate a little bit of money back to good old Seahome, but name it Ishbia Gym or something like that. I'm sure the faculty would be open to it. Now, time out, Austin. You're selling yourself short. As future co-Big Ten commissioner, as that job mm. has opened up, and as as listeners may know, we've thrown our hat in a few times, um, and then we just so everyone knows, we mutually agreed to not accept the job in the past. So correct. Um, it, you know, it was a parting of ways mutually. They, you know. Yeah. So we think we're going to be in again this time. We decided we might throw our hat in the ring. We're going to have some big changes coming. Uh, most notably, 
uh, we're going to make sure that the NCAA tournament does not expand to 90 teams, which is oh. something that <laughs> apparently someone thought was a good idea. Um, 68 already too many. 64 was perfect. I think we're happy where we're at. But I will note, Austin, as a segue, MSU kind of on the bubble here uh, after, after as we enter into 2023. Although we got off to a good start with a resounding 18-point victory over Nebraska, which was actually a lot more until um, things got a little wonky at the end, a little exciting as Steven Izzo uh, made an appearance and got a few shots up including a free throw that he would probably like to forget as it hit the side of the backboard, but the juices were flowing. Um, shout out to the alumniism. There was an incredible stat that was relayed to me that of course I did not double check, but I would <laughs> like to read it aloud because it struck me that allegedly not counting co- the two COVID years, including last year's mask mandate and bad weather game, Michigan State has covered the Vegas point spread on each of the six previous alumni is zone games and done so by a whopping 9.6 points per average. Spartans did it again Tuesday, seven point favorites and one by 18, bringing the alumni is zone average since 2015, sounds the pandemic years, to a plus 10.1 points per game against the Vegas spread and expectations average. That's pretty incredible. Vegas That's remarkable. I had Vegas it. clearly not prepared for the for the Michigan State uh, alums. That's that's a good little nugget to have in there, by the way, for for future. Yeah. Betting purposes. You're future welcome. gambling purposes. Yes, as that's a, that's nice. As my buddy who sent this to me noted, this is information that would have been useful to me yesterday. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've given everyone 300 or at least a year here to, to put that note away. Yeah. So somebody set a reminder to remind us <laughs> exactly midway through December of next year uh, that we should be paying attention to this because surely we will. Forget. <laughs> Big win. Expected win. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to see Malik Hall is back. Yes. He makes the team better. Um, just with his versatility, even if it's not always in the scoring category. Trey Holloman um, is filling up the stat sheet in a lot of different ways. Robbie Hummel in the postgame mentioned something that I thought was interesting. You know, a lot of people gave Tom um, flack for his uh, lack of building out the entire roster. They got a lot of experience. Some of it didn't go very well at the beginning of the year. But now you're playing in the Big Ten, and when asked to play, he and Jackson Kohler uh, were able to contribute in in a lot of positive ways. Certainly there are areas they both need to improve, but I thought that was an interesting takeaway. Now, um, the other side of it is you could have gotten someone who didn't need to have such a learning curve, but I digress. Regardless, um, they both played pretty well. Um, Kohler is still really struggling on defense, but if he's in the game, it appears that when he gets the ball on offense, he's putting it in the basket, which is a a beautiful sight to see. And candidly, if he's on the court, you almost need to go through him. Otherwise, you're just deciding that you are conceding points 
And Nebraska, I believe, finished with something like 36 points in the paint, which is not good. Um, but um, especially when you're playing a 7-2 preseason All-American on Saturday. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Austin, any thoughts on this game you wanted to get on the board? Well, first of all, Magic Johnson remains the best tweeter in the game. Um, going for, I think it was Derek Walker in his in his very fact-based uh, and statistic-laden uh, tweet afterwards. So, summarizing the win, quite honestly, I don't know that you needed to watch this game as long as you saw his tweet. But uh, right, right. if you were asking who Derek Walker is, he was clearly referring to Tyson Walker, who had a Fantastic game, 21 points, 9 to 15 from the field, made three threes. Um, giving you kind of that lead guard that Michigan State needs. They seem to trade it off every few games, depending on, you know, who's kind of feeling it at any given night. But Tyson, I think, uh, you know, is, is going to need to put up more performances like these if Michigan State does want to make the tournament, which, you know, like you said, John, they're, they are – it's a bubble-ish zone right now. But at 10 and 4, you know, sitting – uh, at least the record looks good on paper. So that uh, to me was, was a really nice thing to see. And I do want to shout out Pierre Brooks again. Uh, Pierre Brooks ended up, you know, finishing with only eight points, but three out of five for the field, two out of three from three. He's provided a nice little microwave uh, element to Michigan mm. State that, listen, if you're going to be the team that doesn't have a lot of size, then you're going to need guys to come in and, perform well on the wing and shoot and shoot well when they get the opportunity. So he's, he's done, you know, contributed, get, certainly getting um, a good amount of minutes this season, only had 10 against Nebraska, but was super efficient. So that's the type of performance you want to see out of him. Did have three fouls, which is probably why his minutes were way down. Uh, and it's too bad because like, he's, like I said, he was, was shooting well, but um, yeah, I mean, MSU, uh, listen, we kind of looked at this, season and we thought this stretch in particular from the Northwestern game really through this past game against Nebraska, it was the soft underbelly of the schedule. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, with the exception of losing at home to Northwestern, which is never good. Mm -hmm. um, Michigan state is through that. And I don't know that it's impressive. I don't really know. I, I thought I would feel a little bit more something at this point, still not sure how I feel about anything. I don't feel like we have any real, like, firm grasp on this team. It feels like it's slightly different every single night out. And now you're getting into the point where it's like, well, we kind of need to know what we're working with here from an identity standpoint. And uh, I'm still not sure that we, we have that answer as the schedule gets a lot more difficult. I think, you know, we've seen six games where Malik Hall has played. <clears throat> They're five and one with the uh, lone loss on an aircraft carrier by one to what appears to be a very strong Gonzaga team. Yes. Now, the other five opponents were not good. That said, um, they played some of their best basketball um, when Malik is on the court. So, and now on the flip side, they won without him. Again, when their two other biggest games at Penn State and against yeah. uh, neutral floor against Kentucky, the other games in between, there's a lot of hot mess going on. <clears throat> so you have a full uh, roster now. And to your point, I don't know if we can know until, you know, the the the, the 
tires hit the road here in the Big Ten season, and they're just going to have to figure it out. And um, hopefully they stay healthy enough that um, the best product possible can be out there. And a lot of that depends on, as we talked about, Hall's versatility. Um, and and I think the other unsung hero in this game was Matty Sissoko, again, came out with a ton of energy and cleaned up the glass um, emphatically. You know when he gets a rebound. It is just like a, a violent. And then the other um, thing that he's been doing a better job of is not fouling. And that had put him in a lot of bad positions is just silly fouls too, not even earned ones stuff. And he got one in this game where he's, you know, jostling for position on the block. Like if you're going to get a foul, like make it worth it, but he's doing a better job there. And you mentioned Pierre Brooks, who is a spark plug. Like you mentioned, he has to play better defense to earn PT. And my favorite part about this entire game was the sequence where, um, he and Akins got a miscommunication on a, a down screen, which led to a wide open layup. Tom Izzo immediately stands up, and you knew he was going to go um, pull him. And so Pierre Brooks gets the ball on the wing um, two passes later, and you knew it was going up. And that's my favorite part about Pierre Brooks is, one, <laughs> he's in the game, it's going up. Two, if he knows he's coming out of the game, it's going up. And three... After he canned the three and he came down and Izzo is screaming at him, he is trying to plead his case on defense about what had happened, the possession prior, despite the fact that he just hit like a very difficult spot up three with a hand in his face. And everyone is ignoring that. <laughs> like we're all still <laughs> mad at the defense. And I think, you know, once he gets that, he had a couple miscues. He forgot his defensive assignment in um, building a wall against Derek Walker, Nebraska's best player, who was um, going downhill like Giannis likes to do. He forgot that he needed to be at the free throw line to stop that from happening because Jackson Kohler simply can't be expected to do the one-on-one defense by himself. And that got him pulled. But once he gets it, I, I truly believe, you know, he and Akins are primed for another step forward because Akins is quietly becoming one of the better spot-up shooters in the entire league. And I don't think, at least I don't want to speak for everyone, I did not expect him to be a 43% three-point shooter. Um, I mean, that to me is, last year he was 38%. This year when he gets the ball, I, he looks very comfortable, and he's becoming less of a um, slasher potentially because he can't. He may have lost his that half separate is not as confident, but that's just spreading the floor out. And AJ Hogarth is just reaping the rewards. Um, I want to say he's, he's leading the league in uh, assists per game. So there's opportunity, you know, there's, there's enough guys who can do enough things to be dangerous. Um, and they certainly took care of business against a Nebraska team. That makes me wonder why Fred Hoiberg still does this. Like, <laughs> He's rich. Like he's definite, he is like by all definitions wealthy. Played in the NBA. Correct. He coached at Iowa State and they gave him a ton of money. Nebraska's paying him a ton of money. Like just like how many years of your life do you want to spend on a bus in the middle of the winter, you know, like watching the team you coach get their ass kicked? Is that fun? Like don't like go live your life, dude. I don't get it. But to each their own. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I yeah, for, for, there's something else going on in Fred's brain. I, I don't know. I, I'm really not sure what the what the the end goal is here for him with Nebraska ball. But his, um, his kids on the team, his second kids on the team, and that that just simply has to be the only reason because otherwise, I'm just not sure I see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, this I am very glad that we are exiting the you know after this year the weird roster phase because you're making a point about Malik Hall. Malik Hall is a great. I don't know about great. Lee Hall's a good player. He's a, he's a good college basketball player. He's been effective, you know, for for his entire career. Um, the fact that he got hurt and things kind of like completely went to shit with your front court rotation is a sign that your roster is not well constructed or balanced. Like, and that's no slight to any of the guys that are on the roster. It's again one of the old gripes with Izzo and the fact that he, in some ways, really does this to himself because there's no way you can convince me that he looked at this roster and he was like, we're going to be fine if somebody gets hurt. Like it's just impossible. So I, I don't know where it comes from, why he decided to do these things. Like you're making this point about Jackson Kohler that yes, you know, uh, in Robbie Hummel's point of, as these guys get more time, they're going to get better. It's like, well, you know, what would help the floor of this team is if you didn't have to yeah. rely on that. And you had somebody else who could, you know, could give you 15 minutes a night and could at least give you an alternative to that. And you have extra spots on your roster. Like, why aren't you taking advantage of this type of thing? Like, I'll never really get over it, to be quite honest with you. I'll never feel differently, uh, uh, even if the strategy is, well, because the strategy isn't working. First of all, it isn't working. If your measures of success are your own program's measures of success, then it's not working. Um, but I, I'll never really understand it, but I am very glad to be exiting that because next year, you know, we, we won't get too far into it right now, but the recruiting class that's coming in should help balance things out quite a bit. And I guess really what gets me excited and what I'm going to be watching really the rest of the season is the development of those guys in the, you know, the one through three positions, because it, if we see, like what we're seeing out of Hogard, if we see this, what we're seeing out of Aikens and Brooks continuing to take these steps forward and become like really huge pluses on the, on the league level, like you said, with Hogard averaging leading the league in assists per game, like you bring that guy back and you bring Aikens back, who's probably leading close to, if not leading the league in three point percentage and Brooks, who's microwaving off the bench, like all of a sudden, you had a couple of really athletic, fun front court players in, like the guys that are coming in, and you put guys like Jackson Kohler, uh, you know, into roles where they're probably better suited. And all of a sudden, you've got the makings of a team that could probably challenge for the top of the league, which is not ultimately what this team is going to do. So um, this is like watching one of those. I've said it a million times on this pod, but this is that year where not necessarily worried as much about the outcome, provided you're getting to the tournament as much as it's the individuals moving in the right direction so that the ultimate goal can be achieved in, you know, next year and, and maybe even the year after. Sure. <clears throat> Want to correct myself. Um, AJ Hogart is third in the league in assists. That's mm. okay. Jalen Pickett from Penn state might be the best player. No one talked about going into this year. He's number one. Um, <clears throat> and then wow. he has talked about, three-point shooting it's and it's not just um Aikens you know Joey Hauser's shooting 43 percent um Tyson Walker who is probably by his own 
measures having a poor three-point shooting year is shooting 38 percent um you know pierre brooks is shooting 41 percent team is got shooters and with aj you know being the only the lone guy who i think is very comfortable getting in the paint and also distributing it um it's a lot of pressure on him but he's he's living up to it so far so uh more that you know as we talked about this team you know by being on the bubble the tests get larger you know you have a a home game against michigan which is unfair to call any game in january a must win but i think it's going to be pretty indicative of it, when you're a team that has little margin for error, I don't think you can afford to lose home games where you're going to be favored. And regardless of rivalry, regardless of you know matchup deficiencies, this one is going to be one that you're going to probably need uh, need to win, especially because then you go to at Wisconsin next week and they're rolling right now. Uh, winners of six in a row, I believe, and then you're at Illinois, and then you're home versus Purdue, then you're home versus Rutgers, who just beat Purdue, you know, yeah. like, it, and then you're at Indiana. <laughs> it's not fun. So, again, a little harsh to say Michigan's a must win, but as we talk about that game Saturday, um, you know, I think Michigan is having a year where they look at this game as as one that they might need to win as well. Really disappointing start to the year eight and five. Just had an incredible win against Maryland, coming off of an incredible loss uh, at home to Central Michigan. Just a little confounding. Um, they play Penn State tonight. We'll see. That game will be probably pretty indicative of the Michigan State game. But right now, it's the Hunter Dickinson, Jet Howard, and Kobe Bufkin show. Outside of those guys, um, there's not a lot to offer on the entire roster. And that's good enough to win um, not enough games. <laughs> you need more than that. Uh, and, and Jet Howard's flirting you know, with lottery pick territory, but that's when he's engaged on defense, which is sometimes never. Hunter Dickinson, I think, wants to be engaged on defense, but simply cannot. And you know, Kobe Bufkin is providing um, the type of year that I – I think people expected out of him as an all uh, a McDonald's All-American last year, but he's you know rounded into form on this year. As I mentioned, beyond that, <clears throat> a little disappointing uh, from from the the guys on the team. Terrence Williams um, underperforming this year. Uh, Doug McDaniel has had to step in as uh, the point guard for Jalen Louis um, Allen, who is out for the year. It's a lot to be put on a freshman. Um, he's also a bit undersized, so that's a truly difficult situation. And Joey Baker, uh, transfer from Duke, is exactly what you'd think you'd be getting from someone like him. Uh, a really solid three-point shooter, and that's it. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a huge game for both teams. Clearly, the, the matchup everyone's going to be looking at is Hunter Dickinson um, in the post and Hunter Dickinson's mouth versus his podcast and the, and the repercussions that come with it. But beyond him, I think Michigan state probably has the depth to overwhelm and overcome, especially with an is own um, that's fully engaged. But as Dickinson showed last night or a couple nights ago versus Maryland, he, he can drop 30 
any night. And if Maddie Sissoko is not up to the task, you look down the bench and you're going to be asking Jackson Kohler or Carson Cooper to do something. And, and that's a place you maybe don't want to be. Yeah, agreed. Um, this isn't, like you said, this is not a easy, it's not a, an easy matchup for Michigan State. And Dickinson is the main reason why. I think the rest of it, like you said, it's, it's, it's not a deep team. It's not a particularly big team. It's not a particularly good shooting team. They don't really do anything that, that worries you. And, and quite honestly, I don't think they're a very well-coached team. Um, you know, say what you want about you know, the job Juwan Howard did in the, in the COVID year, but he hasn't mm-hmm. done much to inspire much confidence uh, in his follow-up runs. I mean, this year specifically, you know, losing at home to a, a Q4 game in Central Michigan is is indicative to me of a team that's not doesn't have its eye on the ball. Uh, the follow-up, you know, blowout against Maryland is indicative of a team that maybe had a little bit of a, a wake-up call. And I don't know that you can say that, oh, that's coaching as much as it is players being embarrassed by what took place before and, quite honestly, the other performances that they've put up. I mean, they barely beat Lipscomb at home mm-hmm. earlier in the year. They barely beat Ohio. They beat Jackson State, not the football team, the basketball team by 10. They lost by 25 to Arizona State. I mean, this, this is a team that's – the way that they play these games is indicative of, A, a shallow-ish roster that admittedly had to overcome one injury, but who among us? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also uh, a coaching staff that doesn't appear to know – what they want to do with what they've got. Um, and quite honestly, maybe a bit of an immature team. Um, and I think it's evidenced by, you know, as much as you don't want to give any more light to it, by Hunter Dickinson and what he does off the court. I mean, again, like we're two guys sitting here on a podcast, so, you know, we can't throw too many stones, but it doesn't seem to me like it's a good idea to go and lather up your opponents by talking smack about them on a podcast right before you play them when your team's been scuffling aside from this latest game. Like it just seems like a bad idea. And it seems like something a head coach should go to him and maybe say something about, maybe say, Hey, let's not call Wisconsin scumbags. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like maybe let's not do that. Like, I know you don't play them until the end of February, but like, it's probably not a good idea. It's probably not a good idea to go and stoke all the same old, you know, Michigan state tropes about, Oh, they went to school there because they couldn't get in here. Like, do you really think that that's a good idea? Like it's not, and it's, it's just, it's just stupid from a player's perspective to go and, and, and do all of this. Now, if he goes out and wins the game, you know, good on, good on him. Um, but he's, he's a good, good player, but like really seems kind of silly. And then from a content perspective, it's not like we prepare, but like, it just, it's not even good content. Like you're not coming up with anything original. You're just saying stuff that's going to upset people for no real good reason. And you're potentially costing your team in the process. It's like, you know, maybe just, uh, maybe don't do that <laughs> maybe just talk about what it's like to be a college basketball player and not yeah. you know, directly rile up all of the opposing fan bases with these like lazy tropes yeah it's it's clearly uh as you mentioned 
it affects the rest of your team. So it's selfish. Yes. It's selfish. You know, Draymond Green does a podcast through the NBA year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he could argue he's the best trash talker in the NBA. A lot of guys give him that title. And he's not using the, that platform to do that. You know, so to me, it tells a lot of folks that you have a really insecure guy who's um, potentially overcompensating and grasping at things, um, potentially because of his insecurity about his own performance. Um, and, and that's too bad it, and, and probably indicative a bit because of the fact he had to come back, you know, the past couple of years. And I don't know if that was his plan, but it, here's where he is. He's choosing um, his to use his platform this way. Uh, and you would hope, as you mentioned, that a coach would say like, hey, there's a different way to go about this. Um, you could use your platform differently. But at the end, it just looks like a guy who's trying too hard to be a villain. And it's a bit cringy. And it's like someone said Christian Leitner without the talent. And I was like, wow, um, yeah. that was mean, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So um, certainly lots of um, – Back and forth will be had. Can I say center. one quick, quick, Please. quick thing? Yeah. Is about the, you bring up the Draymond point. When you've got four rings and you're going to be in the NBA Hall of Fame and you're, that yeah. <laughs> you could make a real argument that you are the reason why a lot of teams change the way that they, you, you, honestly, his play, defi- like, greatly influenced the team that defines a generation of NBA basketball. He's not the sole reason for it, obviously, but like without him, he's a big part of it is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson yeah. are like freaking incredible hall of famers that are still putting up crazy, two of the best players of all time. But the point is that Draymond Green was a large part of the puzzle that made up this dynasty and like, led to small ball in many ways. And uh, when you're that guy, I think you can say things (laughs) when you're a good college basketball center. Maybe you, you shouldn't do that. And I would even argue that Draymond really probably shouldn't do what he does, but I think he deserves a little bit more you know, benefit of the doubt or leeway, shall we say, because uh, of the things he has accomplished. Well, I'm excited for Saturday. (laughs) Me too. And I'm I'm hopeful that um, we get a a clean game and that um, I hope that we can see that Michigan State is rounding into form as they have in their five-game win streak, and they continue to grow. And um, there's a lot of uh, good things to rally around with this program, but I think you have to see you have to see probably a really strong performance against Michigan before we get into, as we talked about, the at Wisconsin next week because that's no small task either. But it truly will be one game at a time. And I do love your point um, as we talked about Nebraska is watching each player, what are they getting better at? And are they continuing to get better at it as the year progresses? And will that be enough once you add in an influx of talent next year to truly compete for something big? 
And I think the answers can be yes. We're starting to see some of those elite things. If A.J. Hogard continues to be elite at distributing the ball, if Tyson can continue to have 20-plus point outbursts, if Matty Sissoka can be engaged the entire game in being a rebounding machine, if Joey Hauser can quietly have 10 points and 10 rebounds and no one knows it happened, that's a great thing. Like, there are a lot of really positive things about this team. You just got to see it game to game, you know, week to week, month to month as they uh, progress towards March. So, Austin, should we take a break and dive into what was a very active college football bowl season? I think we shall. All right. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We are back. Wow. This was, listen, if Michigan State's not going to be in a bowl game, we hope this is the last time for ideally ever, but for a a solid stretch of time that this is the last bowl season, we'll have to go through without Michigan State being a part of it. I have to say, if it's going to happen, let all of them be like this one. Because was, this was phenomenal in every in every uh, usage of the word. It was so much fun. I had a blast. You had a blast. Made some money. It was a good yep. time. <clears throat> We're going to have to start to include some of that maybe into the podcast in the future. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Um, feeling, look at it, feeling confident enough to do it. Uh, uh, Wisconsin, let's start uh, the Big Ten Bulls, then we'll get to the New Year's Six Bulls. Wisconsin um, takes care of business against Oklahoma State. One of the sadder um, whimpers into the night were the Cowboys and Mike Gundy's team, a team that was flying high. And then it doesn't just stop with the loss at Wisconsin. They just had three guys, I want to say all wide receivers, enter the transfer portal today. Um, oh, yeah. Bad news for folks. <laughs> Things are going south. Things are not good. Can you imagine water. losing? Can you imagine losing to Wisconsin? football this year couldn't be me no absolutely could not be me i mean listen this is brutal stretch for gundy's boys uh to end this season i mean lost five of their last six including to to both the kansas teams a bad oklahoma team and a not good west virginia team and then a wisconsin team playing stinks a back yeah a backup quarterback uh with a with you know a fired head coach, well, not a fired head coach, but a demoted head coach, I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, weird, weird vibes coming from Oklahoma State. And I hope everybody enjoyed their uh, 47 rushing attempts from this Wisconsin offense because <laughs> based on the guys they've hired, North Carolina's offensive coordinator, and, oh, boy. They, and they brought in um, SMU's quarterback. Oh, yeah. Tanner, Tanner Mordecai. He likes uh, to fly. It, things are going to be weird next year. We're going to get 
we're going to get a lot of passing from Wisconsin. So I hope everybody enjoyed the the rushing well while they can, because I'm not sure how many times we're going to see them cross that 40 carry mark in the future. I'm excited for the message boards. The first game they lose with this oh, yeah. attack, there's going to be true meltdowns about. Oh. He's not a culture fit. This isn't how we do things in Wisconsin. What's Barry thinking? I can't <laughs> wait. Um, let's move on to the bad boy mowers pinstripe bowl. Oh, yes. The Gophs took down another sputtering orange team, the Syracuse <laughs> Orange. At the end of the day, the Gophs, I think you could argue P.J. Fleck did a decent – he did what they thought he could do. This is probably as good as it gets for Minnesota, right? Like, I mean, listen, nine and four, mm-hmm. you, you can't be terribly mad about that. Um, I don't know what they're going to do from a quarterback perspective. I, I wonder if, I if, P, a, if P.J. will have the heart to continue without Tanner Morgan. And B, <laughs> or and B, like, are you going to roll with Kaliak Manis as Dude. your quarterback? This guy is not good. He's bad. He's yep. bad. Yep. He had 946 passing yards. I, somehow, by the way, this dude balled in his last game of the season against uh, Wisconsin. He threw for 319 yards. He only crossed the 100-yard mark. And again, this he didn't start every game. He only crossed the 100-yard mark in two of his other, uh, it looks like, five starts. He had double-digit completions in one game, and it was against that same Wisconsin team we just talked about. And he went for yeah. 19 for 29, 319, and two touchdowns. So I don't Aside from one game, this guy's numbers are, are simply not good. But this listen, the guy. Uh, at nine of four, you can't be too mad. I think it's more important for us to focus on Syracuse because once again, <laughs> when we say things that are remotely right, we have to come back to them. Okay. We said when they started six and zero, yeah, there was a chance they didn't win a single other game. With one exception, we were literally correct. They <laughs> started six and zero and finished seven and six. That rules. I also love it the does. phrase with the exception of one thing. We were literally correct. <laughs> Yeah, come on. Come on, work with me here. Um, <laughs> well, so Dino Babers... Literal can be defined however you want it to be. Moving yeah. on, go ahead. Um, the only thing I'd be upset at if I was Minnesota is if the fact that the Big Ten West is so bad that you couldn't have snagged one you know, little title out of it before things get way too hard for you, which is about to happen. Yes. With USC and UCLA. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a tough look right now. Yeah. Uh, Maryland beats NC State in two of the arguably most disappointing programs perennially year over year. Is that fair? Like, yeah, I would call this the Enigma Bowl. <laughs> Both of these programs could do anything, like, mm-hmm. but you know it won't be what they could actually do. Like eight and five for both of them is just that's that's just about perfect. I feel like yeah. one of them should have been seven and six, but uh yeah all in all pretty pretty standard operations here oh, credit by the way i don't know if it's credit due or just huge question mark from ncaa state or ncaa state nc state um not quite sure if having ben finley throw the ball 48 times mm-hmm. is the best game plan mm-hmm. um then again 
their leading rusher had nine carries for 14 yards in this game. So who's to say what the best idea was, uh, but it definitely wasn't what they decided to do. Um, yeah, tough, tough look all around. I don't know who their quarterbacks, again, another team, I don't know who their quarterback's going to be next year because Devin Leary is off to Kentucky, which will be an interesting fit. Um, uh, yeah. And like Maryland, again, this is like quintessential. What I think this is the same point about, uh, about PJ Fleck can be made about Mike Loxley here. Like, I don't know how much better it's going to get. Right. Like and that could be five. okay. And that's fine. Right. Your losses were for them, except for your loss to Purdue, all losses to good programs, at least. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and one thing I will say critically of Loxley in addition is like, listen, man, if you're going to get Mayo poured all over you, take it like a champ. Don't <laughs> wear the big hat. <laughs> just, just roll with it. Uh, that was a little bit, a little disappointing, but and, and do we think also, that this that is the highlight of Maryland's season that their uh, tight end is now transferring to Alabama. Um, I think it means if I'm the tight ends coach at Maryland, I need a new job. Like I need a <laughs> like look what I also <laughs> I I'm unsure if that was the first time Mike Loxley has ever been doused in mayo. It may have <laughs> not. Maybe a veteran. Did you uh-huh. see the, the the look in his eyes said, I've been here before and I didn't like it last time? You may have liked it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned a transfer to Kentucky. Quarterback one, well, they need it because they lost 21 to nothing in a bowl game to Iowa. Now, I was a little concerned when I took the under 31 in this game after Iowa jumped out to two pick six defensive touchdowns. However... Iowa still needed to score uh, 17 more points on offense, and I felt pretty good about that. So easy under. The Iowa under this year, um, one loss. It's incredible. I mean, a wagon of all wagons. I don't know if we'll ever see an offense as bad and as a defense as good as we did in Iowa City. Until next year when Brian Ferenc gets brought back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, we're best of luck to Cade McNamara and Eric All uh, transferring sure. to Iowa. I it'll be interesting. It's like the immovable force against the unstoppable object, or whatever it is. Uh, those guys versus the 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 talent that they have versus the sheer ineptitude of the offensive coach, coaching staff. Um, here's a question. Where was Joe Lavas all season? Guy comes in and lights the world on fire, throwing for almost 140 yards and and a touchdown. I mean, where is this balling. guy all season? The crazy part is, is I, I, you know better than me, but Laporta is an NFL prospect at tight end. And, and they also have the other kid at tight end who's um, maybe not an NFL prospect. But he had a touchdown this game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Touchdown. Like they have I mean, weapon may be an overstatement, but certainly something. And I have to believe off, Iowa's offensive line is better than what is being put out there. I don't understand how it could be this bad. The, there were seven offensive points in this bowl game. They had a month to mm-hmm. a month. It's mm-hmm. just unacceptable. That is. That is the best. 
That is all so good. I want to, I, I don't really know. I agree with you. Like, even if it's just throwing the ball to Laporta every single time, like that should really net you more than a touchdown a game. I agree. Um, just in case we don't get to talk about him again, I want to just congratulate and send all my best well wishes to Spencer Petras. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because this is the career statistics for a three-year starter here are are pretty breathtaking. <laughs> through through three years, three years of starting in the Big Ten, he completed less than fifty-seven percent of his passes, which in today's football is. But Bryce Young, again, number one overall draft pick here, not exactly a fair comparison. He completes like seventy-something percent of his passes. Like you can get within ten percent of that. Not Spencer. Three years through for uh i'm gonna give him an extra yard and say 5200 passing yards never cracked the 2000 yard mark in a season that is incredible in three years he had 24 touchdown passes <laughs> 24 of over three I'm years so many you know how many a year do you know how many uh quarterbacks this year threw for more touchdowns than that this year, all of them, 28 quarterbacks <laughs> for more than 24 touchdowns. Oh, man, I've got some other good ones here. 19 interceptions. Uh, that's just amazing. His senior year, he goes five touchdowns and five picks. Come oh, on. man. Dude, this guy got sacked 67 times. He yeah. got sacked 32 times this year. That's a lot. That's too bad. I think the best part. This is now this is fantastic. He he had a a long run. Uh-huh. He had a in each of his 3 years as a starter, he had a run of at least 53 yards. What? Oh no, those are passing yardage. Yeah. I'm an idiot. No, <laughs> I'm an idiot. All right, so I was looking at his rushing statistics. No, for his career he had negative 294 rushing yards. Sure. That's amazing. Yeah. And he had one reception, nope, zero receptions for negative three yards. This guy is just the best. I, I'm going to really miss the sheer ineptitude that was Spencer Petras. So I hope he has a, I hope he ends up uh, becoming like the quarterback's coach underneath Brian Ferentz. It would be the only logical step here. Yeah. The, um, wow, especially you're in Iowa City all the way around. Oh, yeah. Illinois took on Mississippi State in the Relia Quest bowl um r.i.p pirate the oh, man the um as we talked about last time um leech a, a favorite of ours um you know, changed the, the landscape it was great to see the bulldogs go out on top winning 19 to 10 yeah happy to see chase brown did not play this game for illinois it's about my own thank time. god yeah I, I fully agree with that um and you see what happens when he doesn't play. They have 29 carries for 35 yards. Yep. Uh, Illinois, brutal loss, man. They were, they were, uh, this, believe it or not, in a 19 to 10 game, the score doesn't tell the whole story. This, uh, this was one of the worst beats of all time. Mississippi, it, I guess it was Illinois plus three and a half, and it was 13 to 10 with no time left. Mm-hmm. And much like the, uh, the um, Peach Bowl. Patriots game. No, much like the Patriots game from a few weeks back against the Raiders. 
the game wasn't decided on the play, but essentially the last second, you know, scramble drill was returned mm-hmm. the other way by Mississippi to, to add six points and bring it up to 19 to 10. That's Pretty wild. Tough. That's tough. Hate to see that. Um, you know, bad beats happen, but it's somehow just crushing if you watch an entire Illinois versus Mississippi State football game just to have, which is hard enough. And then you, yeah. it's torn from you like that stuff. Um, the cheese at Citrus Bowl was incredible. Because mm. going into the game, LSU had some extracurricular activities take place uh, from not just the players, but the staff. Were you familiar with these? I've heard some things. Here's my take. My take on it is that Fred Smoot is somewhere and he's smiling. So it didn't seem to affect the Tigers' performance as the fourth best team in the SEC played the fourth best team in the Big Ten and won 63 to 7. And that's tough look for the Big Ten, is it not? Yeah, it's really bad. I think um, it's also hysterical because <laughs> this is this is like disband the Big Ten West. Like this was the team that played in the Big Ten championship. Game. <laughs> this was the best. This this is was the best the, you could do. I don't want to hear about could do. Aiden O'Connell not being there. Like that's like a fifth or sixth round pick, right? Aiden O'Connell. Like you're We're really pin gonna... this on Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. I'm sorry, well, dude. It's how many 63 points? Sixty-three to seven. Yeah. What is the... okay? So like, I I'm just kind of playing this out with kind of the Big Ten West defenders. How many points is Aiden O'Connell worth in his best day? At 14, 21. Right. Right. Yeah. You're still losing by 40. <laughs> it's, it's just a beating. Unless you I could mean, have scored more. The backup quarterback, Nussmeyer, led the team in like passing yard. Four guys completed passes in this game. I think it's really bad when the wide receiver, Malik Neighbors, has two completions for 50 <laughs> yards and a touchdown, and he's the third most successful quarterback on the day. They gave him two passes. It was so bad. He, he threw twice, and then he <laughs> caught nine nine for 163 and a tutty on his own. Like just, awesome. Yeah, man, this is tough. I mean, I, listen, I will give Purdue a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. They lost their head coach. They lost their quarterback. But good Lord, they didn't take their your pride with them, did they? Sixty-three to seven is an at listen as a team that's gotten curb stomped in some in some bowl games by yeah. Bama specifically. Yeah, we didn't, ours wasn't even this bad. Good God, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Um, moving on to the New Year's Six bowls, the ten the Orange Bowl, Tennessee versus Clemson, where allegedly South Carolina boosters paid to have an airplane fly over. <laughs> Awesome. Just just awesome. Taught both schools, which I love, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, This one, Joe Milton, who you may remember from past experiences being awful against Michigan State, balled out and um, beat the brakes off of a really strong Clemson defense. Now, I don't know how many guys sat out. I imagine a couple of the first rounders did. But Mm -hmm. regardless... Regardless, like played really well, and Tennessee's starting to feel uh, the hype vibes again, much in the way that yeah. Michigan did in 2020 with Joe Milton at quarterback. I was told Joe Milton couldn't throw. 
that's what I was told once uh-huh. upon a time. Instead, uh, dude, Joe Milton had himself a nice little season, man. Uh, ended up, you know, over the last five games, throwing for almost a thousand yards, ten touchdowns, zero interceptions. Wait, Pretty did good. he did he have more better stats than our boy Spencer Petras? Yes, like significantly. <laughs> in five games, he had he had twice as many touchdown passes in <laughs> yeah, basically five games. And in a lot of these games, he's only throwing a handful of passes the entire time. That wow, that is just so sad. I think he only started the last two against Vanderbilt and then Clemson. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, I will say one thing about Joe Milton. That dude still only throws the ball as hard as he possibly can. Whether mm-hmm. you are two feet away from him or you are 65 yards down the field, he is letting that thing rip at 150 miles an hour. It is a sight to see. He had, man, a couple of his touchdown passes were just it, like I think you would break the defender's fingers if they actually were able to touch it, but they can't because it's traveling at the speed of freaking light. Uh, yeah, pretty exciting. I mean, if, listen, Tennessee, they lose a lot. It'll be a very interesting test to see if this year was a fluke or not because, you know, obviously Hendon Hooker's gone. Um, I believe they're going to lose uh, Jalen Hyatt, certainly, from their offense. And I'm not sure what happens on the defensive side, but – you know, they could tell they were fired up to come out and play this game, whereas Clemson might not have been as as fired up. And, and Clemson is now in a very interesting place because Klubnik looks like a pretty good quarterback. But, yeah. man, oh, man, do they lose a lot on defense. And they had a couple of the guys that did play in this game, like Brissy played. But okay. I don't okay. I don't I don't think um, the linebacker. Oh, my gosh, I can't think of his name, but uh, the, the linebacker didn't play. And I think they've got a handful of other dudes that sat out. But. Yeah, Clemson is is in a bit of a it's it's such a spoiled thing. Like they won eleven games this year and went to the Orange Bowl, but um, they're still. I think I think people are still a little skeptical as to to what's going to happen here. But credit to Tennessee, uh, honestly, great rebound and way to cap off a fun season. Throwing the ball as hard as you can in these parts is called the Andrew Maxwell. Oh uh, baby. <laughs> The Andrew Maxwell is like a Toyota Camry and Joe Milton is like a friggin' Lamborghini, like F1 car, just a, just a different breed. It's true. Same idea. Um, just a yes. lot of horsepower. The yes. speaking, or uh, I guess going the opposite way, a guy with a little more touch, Bryce Young decides to play his final game of the year. And, Put to rest, I would like to believe any doubts that he is first round, first pick. He, he's got to be. Yeah, I, I've said it for. I'll, I'll, you know what? I don't know if I've said it on this show. I've said it privately. I'll say it now. I think Bryce Young is going to be. If he he should absolutely go one one. I feel as confident about Bryce Young being an NFL Hall of Famer as I've felt about any prospect coming out in my lifetime. She is so incredibly good at football and it's not even like a he has all the arm talent in the world and b he just has a feel for the game like when you watch the way he moves around in the pocket and how he's able to like make these little plays on the run and know where pressure's coming from yeah it's just remarkable stuff to watch and he's doing this again it's against kansas state yes but this is in a game that he shouldn't care about because anybody else Seriously, just about any other prospect 
is opting out of this game. And I wouldn't blame him for it for a second. In fact, I think he was kind of silly to play in this game to begin with. He has nothing to prove. And all he's doing is risking getting hurt. But he wanted to be there and be a part of it, which I think says a lot about his character and the fact that he can be the face of a franchise from day one. Um, and you saw some of these throws he's able to make. I mean, there's no questions about what he can do. But it's it's all the intangible stuff for me and just his ability to, like, no ball and just have a it's such a cheesy thing but like a sense and a feel for the game like it's just something you can't you can't teach the stuff that he can do and i i mean it it's also production i mean look at his numbers for the last two years dude threw 79 touchdowns and 12 picks in two years (laughs) completed 65 and this is missing several games this year it's like 65 percent plus completion percentage through for over 8,000 yards in two years. I mean, it's not like he didn't have help, but this dude is a, a star of stars. And uh, I would do awful things to have him <laughs> as the Detroit Lions starting quarterback. Jared Goff deserves a lot of credit. I just don't think, even with some other really talented quarterbacks in this draft, I just don't think it's possible to do better than Bryce Young. Keep your size concerns. I don't want to hear it. He is a superstar in the making. I I can't speak highly enough about him, and I'm going to be a fan of his wherever he goes. I think I saw, well, first of all, love the the boldness of that take. Oh, yeah. I'm going for it. Two, I want to say one. I don't know if this is true or not, but I some scout once said if you see people picking on someone's size as their biggest, you know, negative, then they don't really have a thing that they want have to complain about. Like bingo. I thought that was a really interesting takeaway because now how that plays out in the NFL, I I don't know, but I thought that was a really interesting thought. Like you're looking for problems and. I completely agree with that. It couldn't be a better point. And you've seen it with small quarterbacks in the NFL. Like yep. if you have that feel and the other thing about him, I don't want to spend too much time on him, but like <laughs> you don't, you don't need to be a runner when you're small in order to be successful. Cause I think people think of like Kyler Murray and you're like, Oh, yep. he's successful because he can run. Drew Brees is the exact opposite end of the spectrum where he didn't move at all. Bryce is somewhere in between those two. Honestly, he's probably more like a Russell Wilson, which would be a great comparison before this year than anything else. Like Russell Wilson isn't a guy that like likes to take off, but he can, but he just moves around in the pocket so well, historically. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I think he's going to be a, a superstar and I'm excited to see, like you said, if people are picking on his size, that means there's nothing else to pick on. And if you're a quarterback, that says quite a bit. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, Caleb Williams has five Whoa. touchdowns, and that is not enough to overcome the Tulane Green tidal wave, who had one of the best, I think the best turnaround in college football history. I want to say they went two and ten last year and won and beat wow. the Heisman winning quarterback, Blue Blood USC program. We love it. Uh, we're happy for him. One of the more entertaining games of the bowl season uh, all the way around. You, you've got to think that a Tulane's head coach, uh, was it Willie Fritz, is going to be courted heavily um, by a lot of – there aren't very many job openings right now, but um, – or is he already gone? I'm, I might be speaking out of my butt. Um, I don't think he's gone, but if 
I don't think so. I could be wrong. I might have missed that. But no, he uh, – my goodness, what a job he did. Yeah, 7-1 and one in, in conference in the American, not some throwaway conference either. 12-2 and two overall. I mean, putting up 46 points. Kind of out of nowhere. back. He had a really crummy first six years. <laughs> Yeah, four and eight, five and seven, seven and six, seven and six, six and six, two and ten, twelve and two. It's pretty awesome. No matter what way you what you slice it, that is awesome. I think to focus on USC for a second, this team is off. I would be so frustrated if I was a USC fan because this offense is as good as any in the country. Truly, maybe the and honestly, it might be the best. It's very very possible. But defensively, this is abysmal. And the fact that, like, it's Lincoln Riley's guy that he brought with him, Alex Grinch, is so unacceptable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how this guy has a job after this year. I mean, he gave up. If you just look at the number of points that they gave up in some of these games, there's really only one that stands out to me as, like, a legitimately impressive defensive performance, and it's against Oregon State where they only gave up 14 points. You look at all of these other games, and I'm just going to read off some box scores. A lot, most of these are wins. Well, let's look at this. There are three losses. Do it this way. They gave up 47, 43, and 46 points. And that's twice to Utah and once to Tulane. That's way too many points to be giving up, even with this incredible offense. In other wins, they gave up, I'm just going to read them, 45 to UCLA, 35 to Cal, 37 to Arizona, 28 to Stanford, who couldn't score the ball at all this season. 27 to Notre Dame, who couldn't score the ball this season. Like, <laughs> just bad. If they could ever get themselves a defensive coordinator, I mean, you know, this there's no reason they couldn't be a powerhouse, at least as long as Caleb Williams is around. But that defense, not for a lack of talent either. Right. It's just abysmally bad. It's it's unacceptable, is what it is. But, yes, truly. Um, it is, yeah, the the... I'd like to see that team go up against a Bryant Ferentz offense. Oh my God. Um, Penn State takes handles Utah, especially after Utah's quarterback went down. But I think Penn State was handling this game, period. Fast forward to next year. There needs to be a very real conversation about Penn State being the favorite in the Big Ten. Now, I understand that that is, that is James Franklin. I understand that there are two teams in the same division that went to the college football playoff. But I'm telling you, three guys, they are returning uh, what could have been the top overall offensive tackle in the NFL draft. They are returning their running back who ran all over Utah and had a great year as a freshman this past year, Singletary. And the Drew Aller show now. And I know it's his first year, but you got to be feeling good if you're in Happy Valley. I'm good. Not only Nicholas Singleton, the running back you mentioned, who had an 87-yard touchdown run in this game. Also, Katron Allen. Katron Allen. Who had 10 touchdowns this year as a true freshman. I mean, it's the best freshman. Not only the best freshman running back duo in the country, maybe the best running back duo in the country. Certainly one of them. Maybe not the best. I mean, Georgia's got a three-headed monster that's insane. But uh, certainly one of 
the best. Um, and I believe Keandre Lambert-Smith, who's one of their better receivers, if not their leading, no, nah, he wasn't their leading receiver, but he had a huge game in this one. He's coming back. I know they always recruit well. Um, th- yeah, this team should be pretty darn loaded. They do lose some defensive players. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is off to the NFL. Um, he needed I, to. He's <laughs> it's, it's time, man. He's so good. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go so far as to say I'm giving my Drake may stamp of this mm. dude's going to be awesome next year to drew Aller. I'm, I'm passing the torch down one. Um, I had to watch him for basically like five snaps, I think early in the year. And I was like, Oh wait, <laughs> this guy's insane. Um, just that natural, easy, mm-hmm. easy throwing motion can run a little bit too at six five two forty something. Um, yeah, he's going to be a, uh, he's going to be a dude. The only thing keeping me from jumping on the same wagon that you're mentioning that they should be the favorite is the fact that they're Penn State. But that's it. Like it's it, the only thing is that they can, they always find a way in these biggest games. Not always, quite often, to shoot themselves in the foot. And you know, again, the the James Franklin. Um, effect is is a real one when and it's regular season like in the bowl games i do feel like they kind of find a way to win and they consistently put together a great season so i'm kind of talking myself out of it but at the same <laughs> point in time like until you go and you beat michigan and ohio state which seems like they just can never do it when they have the best teams you know i am a little skeptical state. but or michigan, uh, they, they or michigan state talent for talent they're they're as good as anybody in the in the Big Ten, especially like you said, considering Stroud is gone from Ohio State, and um, we don't know what Michigan's going to look like. It's uh, some, this the Big Ten East is going to be one of the most difficult and interesting uh, divisions to keep an eye on, and the yes, a lot happens here. As we dive into the couple of the other teams that will keep it interesting, let's talk about that Georgia-Ohio State game, which was one of the more entertaining bowl games of the entire bowl season as well. Ohio State missing a field goal at the stroke of midnight. Um, Couldn't happen to a worse group of people. And (laughs) Ryan Day loses his final two games of the season. And friends, the message boards were on fire real talk about firing a guy that lost at the last second to the defending champion georgia bulldogs um i love it i love college football man i do yeah it's just so good that really is like a perfect encapsulation of why college football is the best (laughs) because of all of that just genuine insanity um I was, until the last four minutes of the game, extremely impressed by Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I didn't think they were going to come out and not only take a punch, but be the aggressors. I think we saw some stuff from C.J. Stroud that uh, I think people have been kind of waiting to see against elite defenses. Dude, carved them up. 348 yards, four touchdowns on the day. Made a couple of uh, – the biggest thing for me is that he actually scrambled a couple of times and yeah. used his legs. I mean, he's had those lanes all year, including against Michigan. And he just, for whatever reason, didn't take them. Came out and used them in this game and uh, to, to great effect. Um, to stick with Ohio State, I Marvin Harrison Jr. went out at the end of the third quarter. Already had two touchdowns and 100 yards to his name. As soon as he goes out, 
Georgia goes on an 18 to three run, wins the game at the buzzer. When you're you know, up, by, but you're you're up 14 in the mm-hmm. the fourth quarter. I, yeah. I just and you have the same level of talent or mm-hmm. very similar, and you are spotted 14 points with 15 minutes to go. That's a collapse. Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. The, if you look at the win percentage, I mean, at one point in the third quarter, they were up 38-24. They had a 95.7% yep. win probability. The, the game turned under nine minutes when Arian Smith had that huge passing touchdown from mm-hmm. from Stetson Bennett. I mean, that's when it all kind of, you were like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. what's uh, going to happen here? And this was where you just, oh, a couple of things. This is George is just a machine. That's what Georgia and Bama are the two that stand out as organizations to me. Georgia not only made the biggest, but just put their sack on the table when it needed to be put on the table, executed down the stretch beautifully. Kirby Smart calls one of the best timeouts you'll ever see in college football. Ohio State was lining up to punt with, I think, under 10 minutes or so to go. Maybe it was late in the third quarter. And Kirby Smart sees that they're faking a punt and goes and calls a timeout and Ohio State snaps it the split second after that whistle blows and they would have converted for a huge like I think that was when they mm-hmm. Georgia was down a couple scores mm-hmm. and uh just a massive you know that's great that's elite level coaching whoever is coaching Kirby Someone is Smart in his ear. On knowing that so, yes. yes Michigan State Matt Ishbia my plea to you before you flee to Phoenix <laughs> hire that man pay him whatever yeah. he needs Get that's him to Michigan State because that's yeah. the type of shit that great programs do that Michigan State did not do at all the last couple of years. But yep. yeah, I mean, Georgia's still a wagon. i shocked that they gave up 41 points, even if it's to Ohio State. This is a much closer game than I expected. And uh, yeah, well, Georgia on to, to 14 and 0. They, the, you know, the, the, the beat goes on. They've got a chance to make it back to backs now. Here's one quick thing because I, I know you love them, NFL draft. Marvin Harrison. Put put Keely Ringo in a really bad spot. Dude, oh. had him in the torture rack. It was and, unbelievable. And that is something that we had never seen. I mean, he's he is probably up to that game was CB one, and I don't know. Maybe he still is. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. might just be that good too. I don't know. Well, right? Yeah, I mean. I, well, you saw OSU's offense completely stall out when he left. Yep. Um, he wasn't even the leading receiver in this game. Like Buka ended up having more catches and yards. But it, Marvin Harrison is so good that he dictates how any defense, like you said, Ringo is arguably the best defensive back in the country, not just corner, one of the best, um, if not the best. And he carved him up. I mean, absolutely carved him up. I think he was covering him on both touchdown passes. Uh, it was. It, pretty incredible but so you saw this not only this game flip but just everything about it flip and i think harrison is so good that if he came out this year this year he's a true sophomore he can't he was he cannot he cannot come out this year if he could he would be i genuinely think he's in the conversation for the first non-quarterback off the board whether he would be that or not who's to say but uh you know if he's sitting there and the second overall pick is the Chicago Bears, you're going to tell me that they're not going to give Justin Fields the chance to throw to Marvin Harrison instead of drafting a defensive lineman? I don't know. I think he'd be a pretty easy top five pick. So, you know, uh, whoever is going to end up being the starter for Ohio State next year, 
got a feeling they're going to try to feature Harrison pretty, pretty, pretty intensely. This dude is, 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 he's just special. He's a different breed. Just, I mean, what a luxury for that quarterback. Oh my God. All right, folks. In one of the funniest games that we have experienced, and we've watched a lot of funny games, TCU defeats eight-point favorite Michigan in one of the most hilarious fashions even we could have conjured up. The A complete and utter meltdown collapse from a better team versus a TCU team that was five and seven last year and um, has a new head coach. And I, I think you and I were both pretty shocked. I think the country was pretty shocked at what took place. But if you've been watching closely, this is kind of what Michigan does. That said, one of the more entertaining games, maybe the most entertaining game of the bowl season, what say you? It's either that or the Ohio State game. Those, these are the two best. I mean, we've been, first of all, taking who it was out of it, we've been waiting to have two college football semifinal games that were this entertaining, and we finally got it. Mm-hmm. And from a Michigan State perspective, it could not have gone any better. <laughs> just absolute heartbreak I, I, for the two teams that we hate the most it's i mean beautiful i cannot explain how happy i was going into the year 2023 it was elation as the ball drops ohio state's <laughs> kick is missed and that's on the back of this game i mean god uh, again set it at the top if every bowl season michigan state isn't in it is like this one I'm okay with missing the bull every once in a while because this was just just tremendous. Um, I don't really know where to start. Mm. Uh, let's let's start at the beginning. How yeah. About? So um, out the gate, out of the gate, Michigan completely forgot who they were, much mm-hmm. like they do every bull season. The team that is going to break you down in between the tackles got cute on the two yard line. And runs the Philly special with on fourth down, not third down, fourth down with one receiving option out there. So he has nowhere to go with it. Can't even throw it away. They decide to run it on fourth down instead of doing what they do, just just bludgeon you and run in between the tackles. And I think that was a really interesting start to the game. It, it was kind of the ominous start. Yeah, I mean, it had all of the makings of a classic Michigan performance, which yeah. was in a good way, which is their regular season Michigan, which is they're going to go down and they're going to just, like you said, bludgeon you. I think Donovan Edwards had his 54-yard run on that drive. Mm-hmm. Um, largest of the game. L- largest of the game. Fun fact, if you take that out of his actual statistics, he finished with a respectable line, 23 carries, 119 yards. Take that 54-yarder out, he only he averaged less than three yards a carry the rest of the way, um, which is, uh, you know, obviously a major, um, a major credit to TCU's run defense, which I think a lot of people thought was going to be uh, a huge area of advantage for Michigan in this game. It turned out not to be. Um, 
but just going away from themselves in that moment was was like hmm or what's what are we gonna what are we gonna get here and then i think if i recall correctly um tcu put together a little bit of a drive but didn't do much after that and then michigan turns around and jj mccarthy falls asleep at the wheel and throws his first pick six of the game tcu can't possibly ask to get off to a better start than that. Michigan again kind of goes down, you know, sputters out, gives the ball back to TCU, who then puts together probably their best drive of the game. Yeah. Uh, 12 plays, 76 yards, just over five minutes, ends in a one yard max dug and run. Um, and all of a sudden, it's the end of the first quarter, and TCU is up 14 nothing. And Quinton Johnston, who we've shouted out all year, doesn't even have a catch yet. Well, not only and- that. And sorry to now now everything's off schedule, right? Yeah. I think that's the big thing. Is like things are off schedule, and that was a little bit like we talked about the Ohio State Michigan game. Things got off schedule for Ohio State, and then you know when you have to make a team go Plan B when you're the worst team, that's best case scenario. But um, to Michigan's credit, they hung around. Continue very to touch so. the dial. Continue the the story because it is very fun to regale. I mean, you go into half and Michigan only managed to put up two field goals in the second quarter. So it was 21 to six. And you're thinking, okay, listen, I think TCU got the ball to start the second half and didn't mm-hmm. score. So you're, oh, and Jake Moody hit it. By the way, Jake Moody, I would go him on the Detroit Lions as well. 59 yard bombed while going into <laughs> half to even cut I need it. This guy gone. I need him gone. <laughs> he has to go. He has to go. It's like the ultimate insult when your rival has like that weapon and your yes. kicking is so hilariously bad. It's just, <laughs> it's, it really did not make me feel very good. But um, it's, funny. it's funny. We can laugh either. Yeah, we can laugh now. Uh, but yeah, he, he comes out and kicks an absolute bomb. TCU goes. I think it was three and out big kind of like underrated big moment was they held Michigan to three on day on Michigan's first drive of the second half. So instead of cutting it from, you kind of had this feeling when Michigan got the ball this, at the, after TCU goes three and out, you're like, oh boy, here it comes. They're going to score a touchdown. They're going to cut this to eight or seven. And then it's all going to kind of go the way it's always gone. Doesn't happen. They hold them to three. Michigan then gets the ball back and scores again. And then all of a sudden it's 21 to 16. The, the game yep. then kind of like, I think this is when we were all kind of like, oh, wait a minute. The first time I was like, oh, wait, this could actually happen was TCU goes down quick drive, six play, 75 yards, two minutes to go back up uh, by 12. And then another fall asleep at the wheel moment for JJ McCarthy throws his second pick six of the game, which Mm is all of a sudden you're sitting there. There's this was insane. By the way, there's less than three minutes left in the yeah. third quarter and TCU's up 18 34 to 16 and then it's within the last two minutes JJ McCarthy has a 20-yard touchdown run Max Duggan scores on a touchdown run and they and I think somehow Michigan got the ball back again yes. and scored on a one-yard touchdown run so all of a sudden it goes from 34-16 to 41 to 30 going into the fourth quarter it was bananas that third quarter was goes from 21 to 9 to 41 to, <laughs> to 41 to 30 like that was just an absolutely wild quarter wildly entertaining um and then before the quarter ends austin tcu fumbles on the final play yep yep and it's so a michigan's 
Yeah. Michigan's got the ball in the red zone pretty much. Only down 11. They score and convert the two point the two point play and that's that's when I think I really like I went into this game you and I were talking about it before we started recording being like Michigan's going to win. It's fine. Yeah. Let's all just accept it. No big deal. And then you know, your hopes get up a little bit and they keep going up and they keep going up and they peak a couple times in the first and third quarters. And then it's like, oh, right. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, you're like, Michigan mm-hmm. comes back and wins because that's what they do in the second half. The moment when I went fully peaked and like, oh my God, this could happen was right after that because Michigan, again, kind of just for the third time I'm saying this now, completely falls asleep at the wheel. But this is the most egregious one, even worse than the pick sixes. Quinton Johnston makes a catch that the best NFL player that will come out of this game, Quinton Johnston, makes a catch, breaks one tackle, and busts off a 76-yard touchdown pass from Duggan. Just like that. Three plays, 80 yards, one minute. And all of a sudden, TCU's back up 10. And it's like, well, they might actually actually do this thing. Rest is kind of history. TCU taxed on three. Michigan comes back to actually cut it to six again with about three minutes left, but then just can't can't pull it together. And the last play to me is is one that's causing a lot of controversy, but like in reality is is if Michigan fans are grasping at straw, like you're really gonna concentrate on that, then you're missing the entire point of the game. Yes, maybe that was targeting, but you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. It was also an illegal forward pass by your running back. But, you know, not that that's neither here nor there. At the end of it all, it's 51-45 TCU. And I'm – this was shocking. Like, this, mm-hmm. this, this was shocking. I enjoyed – I loved it. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm unabashedly – happy that I don't have to watch Michigan play in a national championship football game. I watched him play in two in basketball and I thought my heart was going to explode in both of them. I don't need that <laughs> in football. So to sit here and say that TCU is playing Georgia brings me tremendous joy. And, and flew in the face of everything that we thought we believed in, which was you need as much talent as possible to ever contend yep. at this level. And we always thought you can get there. Without talent, we saw saw Michigan State do it. We saw Cincinnati do it last year. We see we've seen it time and time again, and we kind of thought this was the TCU version, right? Uh, and and <laughs> they did everything that every Cinderella team dreams of doing. And and the, I think the most damning thing is Max Duggan goes 14 for 29 and 225 yards, and they scored 51 points. Like it's not like they this guy had this career day, like it, right. it 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 was just everything that Michigan usually doesn't screw up <laughs> they did, and I don't know. Um, Duggan has pretty much solidified himself as a gamer, even with that kind of crummy stat line. Um, JJ McCarthy needed a photo op again which is something, uh, more motivation. Uh, see you next year. And I, I, I just, it, you start to wonder, because now Jim Harbaugh is being um, courted by the NFL. And, we're, you know, here we are again, deja vu, right? But you got to think that Harbaugh wouldn't want to come back. 
Because deep down, do you think he knows he can't do it? He may have the team next year to do it, but the fact that this is even happening is interesting because he did what he said he could do, which was, you know, win the Big Ten championship. But that's not that's not what Michigan fans want. And if it is, the expectations have changed. Yeah. And and I don't know if anyone can really believe in Jim Harbaugh when it comes to these games, because I'm going to read off a couple stats for you. Is the Go worst on. bowl win percentage of all active head coaches that have been in nine bowl games. It's the worst. 108 coaches have ever coached in nine-plus bowl games. 108. Only two have a worse bowl game win percentage than Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh will be, if after eight seasons with Michigan, he has lost the biggest game on the schedule for eight consecutive seasons. At what point do you concede that Yes, he's the best you can get. And then also in the same sentence, have to potentially admit that this is the ceiling, which for almost every program would be great. But for the true blue bloods, Alabama, Ohio State, who wanted Ryan Day fired for losing to Georgia. (laughs) In Georgia, that's not good enough. And I don't know where Michigan goes from here. Clearly, they want Harbaugh back. It would be foolish to to, to not want him back. My, my stance is, I, is this is there enough data to to finally say that he the your best will never be good enough? I don't know. I, 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 listen, I think the crime of it all, if I'm a Michigan fan, is that it's not that you lost because you made it there i mean in all if we're being honest like he's won the big 10 back-to-back years he's beaten ohio state back-to-back years he's made the college playoff back-to-back years i mean pretty incredible he's lost one big 10 game in the last one regular season game in the last two two years like he got them to a place that even your most ardent michigan fan would admit was a place that was going to take some getting to. Yep. And along the way, and we're seeing it play out again, literally as we speak here, he is sabotaging himself every step of the way because we've said it a million times. The way that these great programs are built is by stacking top 10 recruiting classes on top of each other. Michigan, arguably right now, should never, there, there should be, two, maybe three hotter programs in all of college football. Again, just painting a very real picture here. That's how it should be. Recruits should be flocking to go play there. It's a classic power. Like you said, they've, they've, they've done all these great things in a huge conference. Like they've been playing on big stages. They've got a good young quarterback. Like this should be a, one of the most attractive places in college football to go play. And instead they are absolutely shooting themselves not not just in the foot in in the face i'm going to pull it up right now and just see exactly where they stand in terms of recruiting their recruiting classes so right now in the in the year 2023 they have the 17th 
best recruiting class. That might sound good. And honestly, for a program like Michigan State, that's pretty damn good. We'd be very happy in that place. But we're not coming off of back-to-back playoff appearances. You know, and Michigan State has the same number, by the way. At the, Michigan State has eight fewer recruits and is 26th in recruiting as opposed to Michigan's 17th. They have the same number of four-star recruits. If I'm a Michigan fan, that absolutely infuriates me. I go back to last year. And yet, again, they had a top 10 class. Probably could have been even better. <laughs> they they had the number nine class. Um, and this year, that's going, that's trending in the wrong direction. And as you're looking at 2024, mm-hmm. um, you know, they do have three commits, all four stars. Michigan State is out recruiting them right now in 2024. And there's some other names that are probably coming down the pike here pretty soon that it wouldn't shock anybody if Michigan State kept climbing that list up into the top 10 in 2024. The point is they should be putting distance between themselves and other programs in the big 10. And instead last year, they got out recruited by Penn state. They're getting out recruited by Michigan state in 2024. And all anybody is hearing is these questions of where is Jim Harbaugh going to go? Is he going to stay? If he does stay, is there any chance he's around for all four of my years? He came out last year and said, I am for sure not going anywhere, which is great. You should have done that. But you did that after you literally interviewed for an NFL job and walked out so cocky that people that you turned off the team that was going to give you the job. Like you you can't undo that. And so it's very funny, quite honestly, from the outside looking in to see this team. Yes, they just lost this huge game. So there's natural, you know, ability and, and excuse to be sad. But like, they're now turning on their head coach. Let like five days, not even after you lost, you, he just got you to your second straight college football playoff game, and now you're already cannibalizing your program. So it's like you've reached this great place, but like, it's almost like the Thanos meme where it's like, at what cost? What did it cost? Everything. Because where do you go from here? Like, where do you go? You're never going to get a head coach that's going to give you what he gave you. There, it doesn't exist. Yep. And somehow you're not giving him what he needs to want to stay forever. And instead he's entertaining these offers. So like this has an expiration on it and it's damning from a program perspective that he might walk on what is could be, they've done a great job in the transfer portal already this year. Like he's going to have a super talented team next year and he might just walk on it to go coach the freaking Denver Broncos or the Carolina Panthers. Like, what does that say? That says there's a misalignment somewhere. And I don't know how you patch that up. And so that, you know, again, it's, it's been a tough five days for Michigan fans. (laughs) uh, I personally have enjoyed it. Well, um, it has been entertaining. Uh, The content is strong. Yeah. Uh, You know, as it relates to Michigan State, there's a there's a lot of positives, as you mentioned, because that gap that should have been created just simply didn't happen. And I guess we won't ever know the real you know, the reasons why. Is it because Mel Tucker's a great recruiter? Probably. Is it because Harbaugh was he not as interested or is he not getting the resources he needed? You know, probably a mixture of all of it. Right. But the end of the day for Michigan State is that you are keeping up with the Joneses or or nearly are 
despite coming off of a five and seven season. And that has to, if you know, you look at a positive uh, for the Spartans is now, you know, you're getting the guys, you know, to, to, to compete now with these classes, you know, not at the level you need to be at, not, not at the level you need to be at to be in the playoffs, but certainly to be compet, you know, um, even more competitive and potentially even win what is potentially the, the most difficult division in college football. And there's a ways to go. It's going to have to be a couple more classes in 2024. That recruiting class, I, I hate to put so much weight on it, but it's, it's what we thought the 2023 may have been make or break that makes 2024 the actual make or break. Because yeah. if you yeah. don't pull an even, not even top 15, like a top, I don't even want to say 10 class, the gap is just really hard to overcome unless you are coaching at an elite level like Sonny Dykes and his staff did. And I don't know if I have reason to believe that Jay Johnson and the offense, well, frankly, or the defensive staff can can do that. So it's got to be talent. So that's where we're at. And it's it's not as bad a spot as maybe we thought. No, it's not. Um, Michigan State continues to do a good job building up the future. Uh, they've gotten some good commits that we talked about last time. Um, a handful of guys really quickly before we go played in the All-American game uh, recently or are participating in other you know big bowl games. By Job, uh, by all accounts, is having a phenomenal um all-American practice week, really standing out, going up against, you know, tackles uh, like Samson Okunlola in practice uh, and, and doing much more than holding his own. Um, Jordan Hall, if you saw any of the Under Armour All-American game footage, uh, was flashing all over the field. Um, I know he's the third highest rated recruit, but I think he might actually be getting overlooked when it comes to how big these these new players uh, could, could be in terms of immediate impact. Um, and yeah, so Stanton Rammel also getting quite a bit of uh, shine from publications that are covering his his All-American participation as well. So really exciting stuff from the future of MSU in 23. Good news probably coming soon for hopefully something in 24 in the next handful of months. Huge official visit season coming up here uh, now that the page has officially turned to 2023. But yeah, um, John, I think it's official. We can have good vibes again. It feels, know. It feels good. And few spots left on next year's roster. We'll probably see some attrition in spring ball and maybe even a few additions to next year's roster. So long way to go, but it is officially, well, not quite. There's a national championship to be played. TCU yep. versus Georgia, David versus Goliath. I think we're all horned frogs. Um, yeah. And after that, it is officially hoop season. So uh Let's let's make another tournament and let's let's go from there. I like that plan. I okay. like that plan. Good, good, good. Cool. All right, guys. As always, thanks for sticking with us. This was fun. Um, for John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next time. Yep.